That's right, everybody. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey inside the Black Vault with me. I'm your host, John Greenwald Jr., and today we are diving into the newest UAP report released, which for many was a huge fat nothing burger, as many of them likely are. For others like myself, I like to dig in, dive in, look at every single character, why they did some things, why they didn't do some things, and just kind of break it down that way. Because even though the report may not have a whole lot of information we can use, there are things that you can deduce from it that if you use the FOIA or even if you're just kind of curious and want to dig in a little bit more, um, it really kind of is helpful to look at these types of things that in, a, in a different lens. And that's my intent for videos like these. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. Let me pull up the uh, presentation, if you will, and some slides. I'm not gonna read the whole report to you, but I am going to break down some of the parts that were most interesting to me. Now, the report was only 16 pages, and let me stress, I urge you to read the whole thing. Um, I'm not gonna go over everything like I said, so you know, you might find something interesting that I didn't. <laughs> so it, it, it's very much a matter of perception and how we approach these topics. But what I'm going to go through with you, and I'm going to read some sections, uh, especially for the audio version, but read some sections so we can go through it and kind of talk it out a little bit and, and see uh, some of the interesting parts of this, but also some of the concerning parts as well. So for those watching on YouTube and then throughout some of the other social media networks where this video may pop up, in the show notes section, you will find a direct link to the Black Vault with the entire report so you can download. Follow along with me on this video, download it for yourself, read it, print it, put it on your wall, frame it, throw darts at it, whatever you'd like to do, uh, but that link is, is there for you. Now, with these reports, even though it's only 16 pages, a lot of times they will put what's called an executive summary. So the report itself is, you know, roughly 12 pages or so, minus the table of contents and cover page and the executive summary. So the executive summary is roughly a page, page and a half of taking the report, condensing it down, making it a little bit more uh, digestible for those who don't like the nitty gritty details. So that's where we're going to start, and I'm going to go through some of the paragraphs that I think properly summarizes some of the things that we're learning with this. I'll quote, the report covers unidentified anomalous phenomena, UAP reports from 31 August 2022 to 30 April 2023, and all UAP reports from any previous time periods that were not included in an earlier report. The All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office received a total of 291 UAP reports during this period, consisting of 274 that occurred during this period and another 17 that occurred during previous reporting periods from 2019 to 2022, but had not been conveyed in previous submissions. In other words, they're just getting the report post any previous reporting that they did, uh, and they were in those past time frames. Really wordy for such a kind of simplistic data point. During the reporting period, Arrow received no reports indicating UAP sightings have been associated with any adverse health effects. However, many reports from military witnesses do present potential safety of flight concerns, and there are some cases where reported UAP have potentially exhibited one or more concerning performance characteristics, such as high-speed travel or unusual maneuverability. Arrow has de-conflicted these cases with potential U.S. programs and continues to work clo closely with its DOD and intelligence community mission partners to identify and attribute any objects found in these cases. Additionally, Arrow continues to investigate and research all cases in its holdings. While the mere presence of UAP in the airspace represents a potential hazard to flight safety, none of these reports suggest the UAP maneuvered to an unsafe proximity to civil or military aircraft positioned themselves in flight paths or otherwise posed a direct threat to the flight safety of the observing aircraft. Although none of these UAP reports have been positively attributed to foreign activities, these cases continue to be investigated. And it should be important to point out, if, if, if it's not um, obvious to you, I take away from all of this that this is just the reports in this particular period. So not the totality of everything Arrow has collected. So just kind of keep that in mind that 
even though it's a fairly uneventful and kind of snoozy expose of of this particular time period, it is just that particular time period. So they may have other cases that have done health hazards after the encounter uh, that, that maybe was not in this time period, but something in the past. So just kind of keep that in mind that, that this is the lens of the time frame, a smaller time frame, not a summary of everything that they have. While this progress is facilitating collection and analysis of the UAP problem set, the continued volume and unidentified nature of most UAP is a direct consequence of gaps in domain awareness. These gaps are the direct result of insufficient data secured by radar, electro-optical infrared sensors, the presence of sensor artifacts such as IR flare, and optical effects such as parallax that can cause observational misperceptions. Based on the ability to resolve cases to date, with an increase in the quality of data secured, the unidentified and purported anomalous nature of most UAP will likely resolve to ordinary phenomena and significantly reduce the amount of UAP case submissions. To me, this is the most concerning part of this report. Now, any viewers of this channel, you'll know that I talk a lot about the secrecy uh, surrounding UAP and why it's there uh, uh, and the lack of official explanation of, of why it's there. But on top of that, the parallels between the 1950s, 1960s, primarily through the late 1960s, of how the government and military at that time had set up the investigations that they did. Uh, ultimately, we, we refer to it as, as Project Blue Book, but there were a few programs in there. And how they dealt with it, why they did it, and ultimately them closing everything. Uh, and then we didn't hear about UFOs literally for decades and decades. I talk a lot about the parallels because it has concerned me now for a couple of years that that is exactly what is playing out now. Now, for those who don't know me, I know and believe based on evidence, both through FOIA and outside of FOIA, that there's something to these phenomena. I say it plural. I think that there's multiple facets to this. I think there may be multiple. Well, there's obviously multiple explanations, some of which are just very Earth-based. Um, and I'm not here to argue the, the alien hypothesis to you, uh, but rather that there is a section here that we humans, I think, just don't quite understand yet. Um, and, and that, I believe, is, is evident uh, throughout history. But when you get to the investigations, like, again, Project Blue Book, you see how that played out. You juxtapose that with how this is playing out. All of a sudden, you start to see things really unfolding in the exact same way. And this, again, has been a concern of mine for quite some time. Now, put it visually for you. It all started with a threat. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously talking about Project Blue Book, but also juxtapose that again with today, that it all started with a threat, that there was a problem the military had to investigate because there was a, a, a public interest on top of that threat. The concern in the post-World War II environment, um, you know, through 1946, 47, 48, that time frame, when you got into Project Sign, then Grudge, and then Project Blue Book, ultimately, that public interest coupled with the threat paved the way for de a, dec a couple decades long UFO investigation. But the evidence, once it came out more and more, you can realize that it was much less a investigation but rather much more an explanation. Now, that is a whole video presentation in itself. I've talked a little bit about it in, in past videos. I won't regurgitate it all here. But Project Blue Book was a farce. But it had to deal with those two things, the threat and the public interest that was not going away. The UFO phenomena was given more credibility at that time by military personnel and prominent politicians as it progressed, which prolonged funding and interest. You look at those former and, and current at the time, military personnel that were saying things, sometimes in books, sometimes in press conferences, and you fast forward through the mid-60s, then you had people like Gerald Ford, prior to him becoming president, pushing the UAP issue as a huge concern 
and something that needed to be dealt with. A lot of this sounds familiar. You start exchanging some of these names with people today, and they fit almost identically to how this has played out in the past. Now, all of that interest, the threat, and all of that dialogue in the public sphere led to the military, obviously starting Grudge Sign, later Blue Book, and doing the investigation for decades, looking at the cases, digesting everything, and then coming to a quote-unquote conclusion. They concluded that the majority of the cases were explainable. Now, even by their own admission, it was not everything. There's a famous number, 701, that remained unidentified after Project Blue Book closed. However, the problem with that is once you start looking at a lot of the cases, you realize that 701 number was likely much, much larger. On top of that, the the uh, a section on the Black Vault that I call from the desks of Project Blue Book added other case files that were found from a former Project Blue Book a personnel member in a garage somewhere, you realize that there were cases that weren't in the massive uh, data set that is now at the National Archives. A lot of stuff didn't survive. It, it got either destroyed, shredded, or copies were taken home by other people. But the fact remains that that 701 number likely isn't accurate at all. Another quick point on that, when I posted Project Blue Book documents, gosh, probably close to a decade ago, and created this massive search engine, kind of turned into an ugly story of uh, copyright claims by Ancestry.com. Uh, I'll bore you with that story another day. Uh, but the bottom line was it got major press and publicity. And as a result, people from the 1960s and even 50s were writing me directly because they found their sighting in the blue book files that even though it was readily available if they cared to go to the national archives the resource that i had created allowed people to search for it and find it like that and so they did and i started compiling responses from people um that uh, stretched into the double digits i'm not talking about hundreds uh, but rather probably 15 20 people that had found their case file saw what the government and military labeled it as and they said there is no way that this was the explanation for my case and that they changed part of the facts behind it. And I started piling these up, realizing, wow, Blue Book was much more of a farce than I than I ever realized. So sorry to go off on that tangent, but all of the statistics and stuff that we've learned about Blue Book, in my opinion, is provably false, that the the percentage of unexplained is likely much, much larger. And I think that that's an important point to punch um, with that particular era. So even though they claimed that most were explainable, they convened a panel back in the 1960s of scientists to independently look at the findings. And you, you kind of look at the NASA uh, effort and stuff like that. You start to juxtapose all of this. It, it seems very, very familiar. But that being said, that panel of scientists came together, looked at decades worth of cases, and they determined that the UFO phenomena, whatever it may be, was not a threat to national security, didn't warrant further investigation, and recommended that the investigation be closed. And that's exactly what the U.S. Air Force did. They halted the investigation. They stopped it. And for well over 40 years, the government stopped talking about UFOs. It bought them decades. Now, documentation proves that's not entirely true. They wanted you to believe they didn't care. But in reality, the CIA, the NSA, the DIA, and quite a few other places were still collecting and looking at ufo reports from around the globe so that also was a lie by the u.s government uh however they used kind of that that effort to justify them saying ah we just don't care about ufos we looked at it we gave it a shot and everything is primarily explainable the cases and i'm paraphrasing their point on this but the cases that did not have an explanation they felt if they had better data, better instrumentation, or uh, essentially more data in front of them about those respective cases, they too would be identified. That's exactly what I just read to you from this new report. 
that essentially they're saying if we have better data that we'd likely be able to solve the majority of these. Well, the reality is they probably could, but it's the small percentage of stuff that truly is anomalous. Don't take my word. I'm not guessing. That's Dr. Kirkpatrick's word that he said in the congressional hearing that he took part in, that there was a small percentage of truly anomalous cases that they could not identify that they were collecting. And I did the math at the time with his percentage that he gave. It was roughly about 30 to 40 cases uh, or so. Um, obviously a rough estimate, but that's a lot of cases that they've collected that would be truly anomalous. Now, what's his definition of truly anomalous? It's hard to tell. Uh, we, we don't really know that. But for him to go on the record and say that, that to me is a big deal. But those types of statements are lost in these reports. These types of reports say, ah, oh, better data, everything explainable. <laughs> well, that's probably not true given the documented history that we can already call back on and it's playing out the exact same way now moving on from that point this was another really fascinating section to me that i bet the majority of people just kind of skipped now the 2022 report on uap published by the same office um headed by arrow and then they consulted with other places as well I put it in quotes because it was actually published in 2023. They were very late on it, uh, but that's why it's in quotes. The section of where they say the agencies they coordinated with were listed, that to me is fascinating because here's the comparison of the newest report, which is over here, and the 2022 report, which came out early, early in uh, 2023, and you look at the growth of consulting agencies that Arrow is working with. Now that's encouraging. It means that they really are branching out. So kudos to them because it really shows some growth there that they're not confining themselves to data to only a handful of agencies, but rather it's grown considerably. Now I went through one by one, the yellow highlights are the ones that we already heard before. The ones that aren't highlighted at all are brand new that they were not in the previous report. Now you'll see two pink highlights in there too, which are again, easily missed. And I'm not, I, I'm not really sure what the explanation is here, but I think it's worthy of a mention that in the 2022 report, ODNI's NIM aviation in conjunction with arrow made that report. This newest was drafted by arrow and ODNI's national intelligence manager for military integration. So that's NIM mill not NIM Aviation. So there was a change there that NIM Aviation doesn't even appear here. Now, is there an easy explanation for that? Possibly, but I actually tried to search in Google for this military integration and every one of the links minus one at the, at the recording of this video, by the way, um, so that could change later. But at the recording of this video, when I Googled this and tried to research it a little bit more, because that's new to me, they were all references to this UAP report. Meaning, is it new? Is it a, a name change from NIM Aviation? Well, NIM Aviation still has a website. So either they haven't updated it yet and this is a new name or there was a change. Uh, why for that change? Not really sure, but I think it's worthy of, of note there. The other pink highlight, ODNI's NIM Economic Security and Emerging Technology. Um. This may also be a variation of the previous ODNI NIM emerging and disruptive technology, but it's worthy of note because it is different. And the DIA is missing. DIA was in the 2022 report, not in the new one. So also of note, why not? Where did the DIA go? Did they exhaust all contributions that they can give? Is it a mistake? You know, uh, your guess is as good as mine, but I at least wanted to point that out as we go through the uh, report itself. One other point that came out that I felt was interesting, the increase in reporting is in part due to deepening federal relationships and Arrow's ability to incorporate new reports into its adjudication and research process. UAP mission partners continue to coordinate, collaborate, and streamline processes. With these new reports as of 30 April 2023, Arrow has received a total of 801 UAP reports. 
So obviously showing the growth, obviously the screenshot prior that I just showed you justifies this kind of, again, explosive um, increase. Maybe explosive is a little bit uh, too dramatic there, but the increase in reporting, the increase of data that's becoming available to them, it's because they are branching out and coordinating with more. And, th and that's encouraging. The report, it may be hard to see on your screen here, but it's not really important, um, gave some pie charts, which we've seen in the past, obviously just updated with the newest numbers. The first one reported UAP morphologies. These are the shapes that just seem to be a very elusive data set. The, um, what was it, 2021 classified report that I got partially released uh, through FOIA showed that they wanted to redact for national security reasons the shapes of all the UAP and examples of the shapes of those UAP. Uh, my appeal on that is still open. Obviously, they have lessened that a little bit. Uh, so hopefully we'll we'll see some encouraging results from from that specific appeal. But that pie chart obviously is breaking down some of those shapes. The biggest data set uh, or the data portion, 53% not reported. <clears throat> Excuse me. So why? Who knows? Um, but you've got orb sphere uh, as the biggest reported shape. And then it breaks it down from there. Rectangle, triangle, disc, cylinder, all stuff that you can probably just guess on your own. But interesting that the majority of cases don't even report a shape, while those that do 25% are round spheres and orbs. This is a pretty pointless chart, if you ask me. Reported lights for fiscal year 2023, lights, 21%, no lights, 79%. But there's so many variables in that that would make that actually matter. Was it a nighttime or daytime sighting? Was it instrumentation only? If it was just instrumentation only, would that instrument be able to see or deduce lights on or off? So many different you know factors there, which kind of makes that a little bit pointless. Um, why I point that out is I think they just like to beef up these reports. You'll notice as you go through the report too, they, they love to skip like half pages. They'll start a new page just sometimes seemingly randomly. And I think it's just to increase the page count a little bit to sh make it a little bit more, you know, complete in their, in their view. Here's some more visuals and eye candy. Um, we kind of see these from time to time, the exact same graphics. I, I mean, and they just updated numbers, um, the altitudes of which UAP are reported, breaking it down. Uh, and then obviously the heat map of distribution of reports. This is another kind of pointless one. Obviously, the, there's data bias here because they're only collecting it from military installations, which obviously will limit you to where our military installations are going to be heavy in the U.S. Um, and obviously looking at other parts in the world, heavy U.S. presence, so on and so forth. So it's kind of a, a biased chart, but, you know, eye candy nonetheless. Now, here is kind of a breakdown of some more interesting stuff. I, I hate to read a, a whole page to you, but again, for audio reasons uh, on the podcast itself, I, I think it's important. Increased FAA reporting, shifting geographic collection bias and morphology trend, which is obviously what I just went over with kind of how silly some of those those charts are when it comes to the bias. Arrow has received over 100 UAP incident reports from FAA that contribute to the trend analysis of activity over the U.S. and adjacent waters. Of the incident reports FAA, FAA has shared with Arrow, the vast majority concern sightings of unidentified lights without specific shape at widely varying estimated altitudes from less than 5,000 feet up to 60,000 feet. None of these reports suggest the UAP were exhibiting anomalous characteristics maneuvered to an unsafe proximity to civil aircraft or posed a threat to flight safety to the observing aircraft. Aero will continue to add these reports as appropriate to the active archive where they will be used in the overall trend analysis. No health slash physiological impacts from UAP incidents reported to date. No encounters with UAP have been confirmed to have directly contributed to adverse health related effects to the observers. ODNI and DOD acknowledge that health-related effects may appear at any time after an event occurs. Therefore, any reported health implications related to UAP will be tracked and examined if and when they emerge. Data, <clears throat> data and intelligence sources received through various intelligence channels. 
Arrow's new integrated analysis process ensures the raw intelligence related to UAP from various intelligence disciplines are assimilated into all source data packages analyzed by teams of scientists and intelligence analysts. Arrow's analysts scour multiple classified and unclassified databases to identify any existing data on each UAP case, prioritizing technical sensor information that yields the highest quantity of pertinent, valuable data for review. As the office employs more sensors specifically ta ta tailored for UAP detection, the amount and variety of technical data produced will increase, facilitating more and better analytic, uh, analytic fidelity. Aero program updates in regards to the analytic division. Aero's analytic efforts are confirming that only a very small percentage of UAP reports display interesting signatures, such as high-speed travel and unknown morphologies. The majority of unidentified objects reported to Aero demonstrate ordinary characteristics of readily explainable sources, while a large number of cases in Aero's holdings remain technically unresolved because of lack of data. Does that sound familiar? Without sufficient data, these cases cannot be resolved. For the few objects that do demonstrate characteristics of interest, Arrow is approaching these cases with objectivity and analytic rigor. This approach includes physical testing and employing modeling and simulation to validate analyses and the underlying theories, and then peer reviewing those results before reaching any conclusion. Look, this is in my opinion, the more interesting part. I know it's dry to hear me read, uh, but for those on the podcast, I think it's important to hear this as I show it to you on the video versions. You look at this and it sounds great. It seems like they're really approaching this in the right way. But as you go through this, you look at how much time they spent on what they can explain and then just kind of like weave in subtly that small percentage of cases that they can't. And yeah, 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 we're looking at it. But they don't really focus on that. And let's face it, that is what this is all about. Do any of us care about those cases they can explain? No, but they spend the most time on that. I think it's an important thing for them to point out. Their investigation processes are working. Phenomenal. That's awesome. Kudos to them. Let's get beyond that, though. Let's talk about that small percentage of cases now that we hear about yet again. We heard it from Kirkpatrick in that hearing that I already went over. Now we're hearing it in writing in these reports that there is that small percentage. Now, before all the debunkers out there start screaming at me, no, that doesn't mean that it's alien. But when you couple that with the interwoven data analyses above in this report that they couldn't connect it to any foreign adversary, it starts to get a little bit more interesting. When you add in that woven in, we tried to look for essentially U.S. assets and didn't find any. Uh, you couple all that together, you've got a pretty kind of interesting thing here. But in this report, it's like 0.01%, and it's largely lost by all this other fluff in there. Like, yes, we're great. We're identifying almost everything. And that's what really resonates with the mainstream media that um, doesn't really do a good job analyzing this. They'll sit Kirkpatrick down like he did with CNN. Oh, the majority of cases are, are explainable. Great. Who cares then? right? Well, sadly, that is how they approach this. Not the right approach, but sadly, that's how they approach it. So those are the little things that you have to look at in these types of reports because they hide things and they subtly put in the most interesting aspects interwoven with a bunch of fluff. Strategic Communications Division Aero successfully exercised its process for declassifying data and full motion videos of UAP events for an open congressional hearing held on 21 March 2023. This process is a complicated, synchronized effort that involves various stakeholders and information owners with differing processes. Aero is working to standardize and routinize, routinize, routinize this declassification process to ensure as much transparency as possible not a word I use every day. Arrow has launched a public-facing website that shares information about its mission, operations, UAP analytic trends and statistics, and declassified UAP data and footage. The website will also link to Arrow's secure mechanism for authorized reporting of UAP. 
Arrow has established classified collaboration mechanisms to encourage cooperation on UAP investigation and research among government agencies. Now, this is obviously resonating with me. They're talking about declassification, a huge problem when it comes to Arrow and the information that they are collecting. Now, to give you guys a little bit of a behind the scenes look and how I'm approaching this and have actually for the last couple of years is that obviously Arrow as that, that arm in the DOD that's collecting all this information from not only DOD military branches and so on, but also it seems like assets outside Department of Homeland Security, um, like Customs and Border Patrol, stuff like that. So obviously they're going out there and they're collecting all of this information. The way to kind of nutshell what I just read to you is this. They cannot look at that and go, yeah, 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 let's just declassify it and send it out. Rather, the, let's say, Customs and Border Protection or um, DHS as a whole or wherever that asset first came from, that's called the OCA, the Original Classifying Authority, they're the ones that actually have to review it for declassification. So yeah, there are some aspects of this that get a little bit complicated. But this is also, in my opinion, kind of another one of those things that Arrow is trying to make things a lot more complicated. Arrow doesn't have to do anything when it comes to the declassification. They just have to ultimately ask the agency to declassify the material, put it through the review. And I think that this is what they're referring to. I'm, I'm guessing a little bit there, but it's just based on what I read to you that, that I think that they're making this a little bit bigger than it should. So what I've been doing is kind of reversing this process. I'm going to various uh, agencies and military branches outside of Arrow and outside of the, the Office of Secretary of Defense, which is where you file Arrow-related requests to, going to outside agencies and requesting all UAP material, including photos and videos and testimony and so on, that they sent to Arrow. Now, all of those cases are still underway. So I'm not trying to tease that I've got anything that I haven't shown you guys. I publish things very, very quickly when they come in. But what I'm trying to show you is Arrow is making it seem like they're doing this very long, drawn-out process for declassification, and it's really complicated. So what I'm doing is trying to fast-track it. That as long as, as, for whatever reason, they would try and put this under a law enforcement exemption... And that is going to be another video, just so you guys know. That is something I've talked a lot about on social media in the last couple of months. I have refrained from doing a video on this because I was hoping to get a Pentagon comment on it. They refuse. So heads up that I'll, I'll definitely break this, this down for you even more. Uh, but for the sake of this video, as long as they don't say it's a quote-unquote law enforcement investigation, there's no reason that they can't. Uh, declassify it. Or if it's unclassified already, there's no reason why they can't release it. So it's kind of that roundabout way of filing FOIAs to go to, let's say, an agency like um, DHS or the FAA or whatever and say, okay, here's a FOIA request for everything that you guys have transferred over to Arrow in the last year and a half or whatever, however long they've been around and um, see what happens. And I do have movement on a lot of those cases. Will it produce results? Your guess is as good as mine. I never get excited. Uh, but I just want, wanted to give you guys a little bit of that um, behind the scenes of how that works. Bottom line, I think Arrow is really beefing up the report in areas that they shouldn't and really kind of making some things a little bit more time consuming than it should be. Because you know with the... Fleer, Gimbal, and GoFast videos being unclassified from their from their capture, and I got that in writing. They, they never had to go through a declassification process. They did, however, have to go through a security review because unclassified information can be controlled. But I think with those facts, I think that there's a lot of other information out there um, in those 801 cases that's likely unclassified and likely can be easily sanitized, declassified, and released to the public. So I'm trying, <laughs> but I, I'm hoping that that might expedite this this process if Arrow doesn't um, step in the way and, and block that. But again, that'll be the topic of a future video, hopefully pretty quick. 
Back to the report, way forward, the space and maritime domains need to be fully integrated into Arrow's processes. Airborne UAP continue to dominate UAP reporting, with 290 of the 291 reports from this reporting period occurring within this domain, and consequently the relationship between Aero and Air Domain elements such as NIMMIL, the Air Force, including NASIC and the Air Force Research Lab, and Air Command elements remain strong and continues to deepen and expands in terms of collection, analysis, exploitation, and resolution. Collaboration with Space Force, U.S. Space Command, NRO, and NASA is well underway. That's one thing I failed to, 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 to point out to you, but it reminded me here. The Space Force was not included in that 2022 report breakdown of collaborators, but was in this report. So obviously there's movement in the space domain. And if you ask me, that will probably, whether or not we see it or not, who knows, produce the most interesting aspects of what Aero does. Because now they're obviously tying things to commercial aircraft and to drone technology and stuff like that. You look at that breakdown of the chart of elevations. Um, obviously, you know, we, we've got very much a bias in that particular domain. But when you start looking up the Space Command uh, equipment, sensors, and the data that they collect, you look at the Space Force and the data and the instrumentation and the data they collect, that's going to change that a lot, in my opinion. Sure, you're going to have instrumentation that's looking towards Earth, not necessarily away from Earth. So it may help in, in certain areas, let's say at a 35,000 foot elevation that's, that, that's fire altitude. That's fine. But when you get above that and you tar start talking about instrumentation that may not be looking at Earth, but rather looking out, that is, is something pretty fascinating. The NRO, uh, which although isn't new in this time period, for those who haven't seen it, look up the document that was published. I did a video uh, on it as well on this channel of the sentient system, the artificial intelligence, highly classified NRO system that detected a Tic Tac UAP, their words, not mine, a Tic Tac UAP just a couple of years ago. So when you look at all of that, you realize, okay, right now, sure, a lot is explainable, small percentage of, of, um, of, of cases that remain anomalous. But when you start adding in the space command, the space force, and really start utilizing the data collected, like, uh, like from the NRO or from the NGA, you have a whole new world. You really do. I mean, and, and that's not based on any kind of guesses or anything like that. It's a whole new world because you look at the systems that those places have, and it's a hell of a lot different than the FAA or arguably even someplace like NASA. So you look at those types of, of surveillance systems that they have. I think it's going to be a whole new world. What we will learn as the general public, what will we, the people here, your guess is as good as mine, but encouraging nonetheless. And I think that uh, internally, they're going to see that data skew a lot. Case closure report. This was kind of interesting. Attached is a pilot example of the result of Arrow's full phase analytic process. The files and accompanying data in each case have been given to Arrow's IC and ST partners for their analysis. And this resolution resolution report reflects Arrow's determination based on the results. These case resolutions and accompanying unclassified analyses will be published on Arrow's website. So that's all great, right? Encouraging, we're being transparent with the public. This is what you guys will get. The report itself, case, quote, Western United States. 8 May, 2023 is when they solved it. And it looks, look, you see here what they do. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but key findings, intelligent assessment, case essentials. Um, they obviously were likening this to commercial aircraft traveling on different air routes to, uh, again, just, just kind of like that case breakdown summary explaining what these are. And we'll likely get a ton of these uh, as time goes on. Solving cases, very much like Project Blue Book did, because keep in mind, those were available to the media. If the media asked at the time, they were not classified. There were some classified cases 
but the majority of them were open to the general public. So yet again, when you look at what they're doing here, they're going to probably bombard you with commercial aircraft, drones, maybe even the exhaust of an F-18 if they want to go there. They've already said parallax in their report here, IR glare, all things that we've seen bantered about through social media ramblings. However, here they are officially putting it on paper as explanations. So they're going to bury you in those, but those small percentage, again, those cases that were woven into this report and alluded to, hinted at, and you kind of have to put the pieces of the puzzle together, you likely won't see those. What about the Space Force when that gets into play? Are we going to see anything that comes from that? Likely not. Not the way the secrecy is going. So again, it's, it's all about perception and optics when it comes to stuff like this. That's not conspiracy talk. That's history. And that's well-documented history that the era of Project Blue Book, it was all about the optics. Hey, media, if you want to look at our reports, come on in. Let's show it to you. Look at this weather balloon case. Look at this swamp gas case. Look, we have scientists that say it's swamp gas, so it has to be swamp gas. And that's exactly what they did at the time. Here we see the roots of something very similar, but in the 21st century, a website that will have cases very much like this, that essentially here case status resolved. The lights were aircraft up to 300 nautical miles away from the sensor. It's great that they can solve it. I won't even fight it. It probably is lights from a commercial aircraft, but the problem is, is that it's the optics and perception that they want to give. Call it psyops. If you will call it, whatever you want, call it PR. But that's exactly what Blue Book did. The optics and perception then was that the majority of the cases were easily explainable. What they didn't tell you then was that there was a percentage that they really couldn't identify. They admitted to 701, but they likely skewed the number down. Again, verifiable. There have been books written by um, uh, people much smarter than me that analyzed all that data, looked at it, and, and uh, assumed that the 701 was wildly wrong. But regardless, even if it was right, they didn't want you to really look at those cases that were unidentified. Some of them really didn't have the evidence. That's fine. Going to happen. But there's other ones that just did not have an explanation, nor do they to this day. We're seeing the roots of the exact same thing. And that's what's worrisome. Because again, you're going to get bombarded by this. Look at these phenomenal pictures here that they released on the report. If you squint and turn your head slightly, you can see the commercial lights. I don't know, whatever. That's what it is, apparently. Western US UAP shape distorted due to sensor vibration. So you're going to see a lot of this kind of stuff that you just kind of like fall off your chair and go, who cares? I'm not going to waste the bandwidth to load this and print it. So that's, in my opinion, the optics and perception of what we are seeing unfold. And that is kind of really upsetting. It really is frustrating. And, and although a lot of people see me as more of a skeptic and debunker, I guarantee you I'm not. And it's for reasons like this, because when you take history and you take the evidence that's available to us, you don't need the whistleblowers to tell us that there's more to this story than they want us to know. You don't need a rocket scientist to figure out hey, look, their perception and the optics of all of this is likely skewing reality in order to push a certain agenda. And that agenda is to deal with the threat and the public interest, very much like Project Blue Book did. Those are the same words that we keep hearing about today. Public interest, massive public interest. We see it in FOIA documents. We see it in emails. We hear about it in the press and the press statements. The public interest is partially fueling this based on those from the military, from the government pushing what narrative? Ah, yes, the threat narrative, exactly how it was back then. So it's incredibly fascinating to see those parallels. Now, one thing that I do want to point out, I didn't make a slide for it, but I will link it after the show. I had received maybe going back a year ago or so, a breakdown of Arrow's cases now, what they gave me was essentially like this spreadsheet graph of hundreds of six-digit numbers, essentially the case numbers that coincided with cases like this. Now, case Western United States, how many Western United States cases do they have? 
it's such a silly way to label these things. Um, I don't quite under, understand the logic there. But why I bring this up is that if you were to ask me, and this is pure speculation, put the alarm on, it's just speculating. But those six-digit numbers represented cases like this. Do you see a six-digit number on here that coincides with that database they sent me through FOIA? I don't. Hopefully I didn't miss it, but it's just two pages, so I think I didn't, but please correct me if I'm wrong. What's my point? Those six-digit numbers mean something somewhere, and they should have reports that coincide with Western United States to a six-digit number. Where am I going with this? I think the unclassified, sanitized, boring-as-heck reports are going to be what you and I are fed through that website, which they outline extensively in this report. But I believe that there's going to be another layer of reports of the ones that they do not push, the ones that do coincide with those six-digit numbers, the ones that maybe aren't unclassified, and those are the ones internally that they're using and sharing with their industry partners in the intelligence community. You know that I'm filing requests for stuff like that. Because the one piece of the puzzle, which to me was useless, like what the hell can I do with hundreds of six-digit numbers that don't coincide with anything? This comes out and it just put a light bulb in my head that there's a whole nother layer to this. Now we can assume that there's classified reports. So no, that's not some huge revelation. But I think that there's actually another layer of published, internal published reports that they're sharing within the intelligence community that I don't think they're going to name it Western United States. They're going to have probably some other more descriptive name, but case number 752368. And then they're going to coincide that number with the report itself. That's generally how government reports work. When you have things serial numbered, labeled, um, whatever term you want to use uh, for their respective operations, there's always a unique identifier to those particular reports. You don't see it here. So I'm searching for those other layers that I believe are there. So that useless document, although had a little, was kind of interesting, just got a heck of a lot more interesting to me for that. Here's the last slide. And that is the index of key terms or glossary of terms. The 2020 report uh, had what you see there on the right side of the screen. The left side of the screen is the newest report. You see a heck of a lot more. Now, why this is interesting is a lot of these terms did not appear in the report. So generally, when you see things in an index or def like key definitions is, is another label I've seen in various government reports. Essentially, you see those definitions or the words that they're defining in the index in the actual report. And a lot of these you don't have in the actual report. So where did these terms come from? Well, what's interesting is they come from somewhere, just not this report. You look at spaceborne UAP, they already have that defined sources of anomalous detections above the Kármán line, i.e. 100 kilometers above Earth's mean sea level. So they're defining all this already, just as the Space Force and Space Command collaborations are underway. Now that's good. That's, again, not a huge revelation. But the fact that they have this already set means they will likely start filling out these categories and these labels of spaceborne UAP. Airborne UAP is a given. Seaborne UAP is an, another given. Transmedium UAP. Um, so I don't have to read you all the definitions. Those are pretty self-explanatory. But again, you start to see these flushed out from the 2022 report. You don't have them. In fact, Range Fowler, if I remember did not exist in the newest report. So I'm kind of curious, those range Fowler reports, look, they're, they're, they're kind of cool to look at, but I think that what we're dealing with with the range Fowler reports are mostly incursions by drones and stuff like that into training exercises. Years ago, I got something very similar from the uh, NCIS of drones going over military training installations. They were more hobbyists than like, you know, espionage or anything like that. But regardless, it's, you know, not a good thing to do. So range fowlers, I think really kind of lean towards very explainable, important, but very explainable objects. Interesting to see range fowlers has dropped off 
from the glossary of terms. Uh, and it's, um, I don't want to say replaced by, but obviously Spaceborne UAP and so on kind of took its place, so to speak, that that's what they're focusing in on here. So um, I would uh, definitely read those definitions, see the difference, because it's interesting. And I know some of these ob- uh, so, some of these observations get a little bit dry, and you're like, well, why, why does that really matter? But what's interesting is that when you do juxtapose history, documented history, evidence from decades ago, and see how things are playing out in a certain way, you have to start to digest and realize, okay, there may be some parallels here that we're not on the path to disclosure that some people want, but rather one of strengthening secrecy. And that's a, that's a bad thing. And why I like to point all of this out is to kind of spread that awareness out there because we can't lose sight of the ball. We can't lose sight of the finish line. Finish line meaning we have to get through this era of increased secrecy. We have to figure out why the DOD added numerous other layers to my FOIA requests, but obviously others as well. But the secrecy layers are are piling on top of secrecy layers. And uh, in the coming days, I will break down exactly what all that uh, means and and um, the problem that it's caused. But above all else, what I like to point out is that entwined in some of this dry, boring, obviously government speak of trying to calm the nerves of everybody and say, ah, oh, lose interest because there's nothing here. There are things put into there that once you pick up on, you realize there's something here. And it coincides with that small percentage that we knew about decades ago and reinforced it once more evidence came out. We're seeing that again. The small percentage is what keeps people like me around, but me specifically around because there's something here that the U.S. military and government can't identify. And they'll admit it if you pay attention, but they want you to get lost in the fluff of commercial aircraft lights and we can explain it. Just give us more data. Don't get lost in that. Read between the lines. And sometimes you don't even have to read between the lines. It's in the lines. You just got to read them. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're watching here on YouTube, please give a thumbs up. It is a huge help to me to have you do that. The biggest help, just share the channel. If you find these videos worthwhile, I know that not everybody agrees with me. That's okay. That's what this channel is all about. It's about the dialogue. That's why I love the live streams because the the chat rooms are always flying. Um, There's always great comments from everybody. I love to read all that. So please, please share the channel if you find anything worthwhile. Thumbs up. If you're listening on the podcast, five-star reviews is what I aim for. I won't tell you what to do, but just add a review nonetheless, because it, it helps across the board. Thank you so much for listening and or watching wherever you might be doing so. This is John Greenwald Jr. signing off, and I'll see you next time.